So what's going to happen now, I'm going to invite Renee up here. I am excited to have Renee here. You've seen around. around. Um, Renee is a friend, a mentor, a, a pastor, a shepherd to me. I don't know what word to use, a leader. Um, I ha- she's going to preach on prayer today. So, you know, you've heard me talk about prayer a lot. Um, I wanted to bring someone in at this part of the series who knows this better than me, who walks in more authority in this area than I do, and has way more uh, time and energy and sacrifice invested in this city on her knees. Um, Renee has led movements here in the city for over 30 years, crying out night and day, um, down on the streets with homeless kids, taking people stumbling in the prayer room, drunk and on drugs, and ministering to them, and they're now walking uh, healthy and whole in relationship with Jesus and His kingdom. Um, And so I, there's so much I could say about her and the example she is and the impact she's had on me, Um, but you're about to hear that. Um, So Renee, thank you for coming, thank you for sharing your gifts, and thank you for everything that you do uh, for this city. Uh, So can I pray for you? God, I thank you for Renee. Thank you uh, for the anointing that she walks in. Thank you for the gifts that she carries. Thank you for the sacrifices that she's made. Thank you that Renee is a woman uh, who honors you and then who honors uh, the generation before her, the generation she's a part of, and then passes on to the generation that's coming. Thank you for this mother of faith in the city who's shepherding so many young lives and leading them into a fresh encounter with you that will change this city and this world for the better. So as she speaks today, I know that you're going to speak through her. May her words be spoken as the very words of God, and may our hearts be open to receive them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Scotty. I have so much love and honor for Scotty, all of the things that he directed towards me. I feel like I could just direct right back, and that's the beautiful thing about what we refer to as mutual submission one to another. And um, so I, I gained so much from my friendship with Scotty. I loved that song, Graves Into Gardens. How many of you have heard that before? Um, for, so for a lot of you, that was new. But when we hit that, that part, um, you are the God of the mountains and the God of the valleys. I just had a sense that there's something really deep about that in this church. In those of you who've been here for a long time, that you've known God as the God of the mountains, and you've known God as the God of the valleys. You know, and those are very different places, right? There's joys and there's sorrows, there's heartache, there's rejoicing, there's the ups and the downs, and there's the experience in life of just hanging on, you know? And I I just wanted to honor your faithfulness of knowing God in all of those places and in, in not giving up, but in continuing with him and believing that when you're down in the valley, you're going to reach that mountaintop again one day. And knowing that God is with you in every moment, whether you are on the mountain or whether you are on the valley, in the valley. And I just had a picture of a tapestry, this, a beautiful tapestry 
And I feel like the Lord is weaving in these new threads as he writes a new story for this church. He's creating a new tapestry, but the borders have already been set, right? It's the same church. It's the same. But as he weaves these threads through the tapestry, it is beginning to take on a new look. It has new colors in it. There's a new picture that is being formed in this tapestry. There's a new pattern, right? But it's, it's all a part of the same move of God throughout this place and this body. And so as I begin, I just want to say thank you for standing faithfully in this place and for opening the door to the new story that God wants to, to create here. So that was just a bonus. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a Friday morning in the summer of 1990, a long time ago. I am old. Um, I was 24 years old and not a morning person, still not a morning person, just for the record. But the Lord woke me up at 5 a.m. that day, and I felt a prompting to go down to Pioneer Square. Now, I had just moved to the city two years prior, and at the age of 22, I had founded a ministry among thousands of homeless youth that filled our streets during that time in the late 80s and 90s. On this particular weekend, we were heading out on a retreat with a local youth group to do some water skiing and tubing and camping. So I pulled myself out of bed, reluctantly. <laughs> I got in my car and obediently drove downtown, not knowing what I would find. But when I arrived at the square, it was, not surprisingly, empty. I wandered around and decided just to take one last quick walk around the perimeter and then go back home and go back to bed. As turning the last corner, I found one of the street kids perched on a wall by the max line just sitting there by himself. And as I started moving towards him, his head had been down and he looked up at me um, and our eyes, you know, connected. It was a boy named Stephen. Nothing profound happened in this moment. <laughs> You're going to have to hear the rest of the story later. Uh, but I said, hey. He said, hey. I said, do you want to go water skiing today? And he said, sure. So I told him when and where to meet us. And then I went back home and I went to bed. Nothing profound. <laughs> Uneventful. In my mind, not worth waking up at 5 a.m., but I had learned over the years to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Prayer, O. Housby says, is the breath of the soul. It's the one thing that sustains our, our spiritual nature. So just as we will not continue to live in our physical bodies if our breath ceases, we will not continue to live in the spirit if our prayer ceases. Perhaps this is why Paul exhorted us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. In our traditional understanding of prayer, this would seem impossible. 
How could we make our requests known to God every minute of every day? What does that actually mean to pray without ceasing? So this morning we're talking about our second practice, prayer, as it relates to being true to Christ. I would like to propose that there's a foundational understanding of prayer that we can build all other types of prayer upon. That we know from 1 Timothy that that there are many ways to pray. In chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, we are urged to offer petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings for everyone. The Bible's filled with prayers of all kinds, lament, rejoicing, declaration, proclamation. There are prayers for the church. There's prayers for the lost. There's prayers for healing. There's prayers for deliverance. It goes on and on. There's no shortage of finding ways to pray or topics to pray about just by opening our Bible. But today I want to focus on two things that I really believe lay the foundation for our inward journey and our outward journey of prayer, and how these practices help us to be true to Christ. These two are praying unceasingly and intercession. And I would also like to propose that these are not only foundations for prayer of all kind, but they in fact are the vessels through which we find our way to righteousness and justice. Psalm 89, 14 through 17 is a beautiful scripture. It's one of my favorite. It says this, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted, for you are the glory of their strength. These words righteousness and justice actually come from the same Hebrew word. And it's a word that literally means to bring back into alignment or to bring back to the original intention. In scripture, we see this Hebrew word translated as righteousness whenever it's speaking of or referring to the character and the nature of God, or our inward nature reflecting that character and nature of God. His righteousness is in us when we are aligned properly to him. Justice then is used when that nature or that character of God is working outwardly and having an impact on the world around us. So first our inward man is being conformed into his likeness, and then our outward actions move in such a way as to bring transformation into the earth, realigning all things back to the original intention of creation. Prayer without ceasing then is nothing more than a realignment and a posture that we take continually before the Lord. It's not so much the words that we speak as it is the position of our heart. And it requires a continual surrender throughout the day to stay in that posture, to stay in that alignment to him. It's something that we have to do 
again every morning, every noon, every evening, every interaction that we have. Um, and it also it, it allows us to, or, or helps us to, or requires us to be still at the very core of our being in order to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. We have to cultivate this. We have to learn this, that in the middle of the chaos of the world around us, that we can somehow center ourselves in Jesus so that we can hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When we recognize that God's with us in every moment, this is when we learn to continually posture our heart to God. The foundational aspect of prayer is the ongoing nature of being present to him, both in relationship and in conversation. So the best earthly example I can think of is the covenantal relationship of marriage, right? My heart is postured towards my husband. We don't talk every moment of the day. We're not always in the same room. For much of the day, we're not even in the same building but my heart is always postured towards him. It's like he is always there with me. Every decision that I make considers him. Every day that I wake up and every night that I go to sleep, I know his presence. We can have a conversation one day and not finish it until a month later. We can sit in silence. We can be happy. We can be sad. We can fight. We can make up. We can be playful or serious, feel close or even distant, but we are always there present to one another. We've made a promise to be so, and this kind of presence requires a response of each person to the other. So Jesus's presence with us through the Holy Spirit is his covenantal commitment in our direction. It is his nature being extended towards us. When he walked the earth, his presence was tangible. People could feel it. It brought healing and deliverance and freedom, and people would come from miles around to experience this present, this, his presence. Um, we see this in so many of the stories, you know, in the crowd when the woman reached out to touch the hem of his garment, or um, the men who had a friend that needed to be healed and they knew if they could just get him into the presence of Jesus, he would be okay. So when the crowds were too large, they went around the house and actually lowered their friend down through the roof just to get him into that place of his presence. There was an understanding that there was something powerful about that, and they wanted to posture themselves towards him. So Jesus is always present towards us. We have full access to the Father through him by the Holy Spirit. And our prayer life, then, is our response or our covenantal commitment back to him. It's a posture, if you will, that we take in his direction, again, of us being present to God. It's our response to his presence directed towards us. There's this little book called Practicing the Presence of God by a guy named Brother Lawrence. Maybe some of you have read it. I see a few heads shaking. But Brother Lawrence describes a simple life devoted to Christ, and he talks about this idea of praying unceasingly. Listen to this quote. 
His prayer was nothing else but a sense of the presence of God. His soul being at that time insensible to everything but divine love, and that when the appointed times of prayer were passed, he found no difference because he still continued with God, praising and blessing him with all his might so that he passed his life in continual joy. This kind of prayer that always begins with a posturing of our heart towards God allows us to move into a place of intimacy with him. It allows us to know the character of God experience experiencing the very presence of God in a real and tangible way. Maybe not every moment, but at every moment that tangible expression becomes a possibility for us. And that presence is transforming. It reminds us of who we are, holy and dearly loved. It brings peace and comfort in the midst of chaos and grief. It brings joy in the midst of challenge. It gives us confidence when we are unsure of ourselves. And hope, always hope, that what we are experiencing today is not the final story. The presence of God changes us from the inside out to make us more like him, to take on his character and to carry his righteousness. 1 John 3 says, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 Corinthians 13, remember, reminds us that now we see in a mirror dimly, but one day we will see him face to face. I like those two scriptures together because I think even if I'm looking as in a mirror dimly, the more that I can see him, the more that I can fix my gaze upon him, the closer that I can get to him now, the more I will become like him in this moment, in this day, in this time, here on the earth. <laughs> Learning to posture ourselves to God also allows us to learn how to hear his voice and the prompting of his Holy Spirit. The foundational position in continual prayer is that two-way conversation. So we're not so much trying to speak continually as maybe we are trying to listen continually. John 10 reminds us that the sheep hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. Knowing his voice is not just for the prophets or those who have a spiritual gift that needs to be used in the church. It's for everyone, right? It's for the sheep. We know his voice. We're to learn to recognize and uh, his voice, the voice of the shepherd above all others. So it's in this posture towards him. It's in this place of of continually being available, of continually surrendering to him, of continually listening for the Holy Spirit, that we understand what his voice sounds like, and we can begin to hear him prompt us when needed. So this is how I found Stephen on that morning so long ago. My heart was postured towards God in such a way that the Holy Spirit could awaken a 24-year-old kid who hates the mornings at 5 a.m. to go downtown and invite a kid to go water skiing. Profound, right? 
<laughs> I really didn't know if Stephen would show up that afternoon, but he did come that weekend. And he did things that he had never done before, like wakeboarding and inner tubing and water skiing. He found friendship in the youth of the church and a kindness that was unexpected. And after the speaker had given a message that night and most of the adults had gone to bed, a few of the kids from the church, hungry for the presence of Jesus, got out a guitar and just began to worship together. Stephen and I and some of the other street kids sat in the dirt with them with the wind rustling through the trees to the sound of the music. And the presence of the Lord was palpable. It was one of those moments you could just feel it tangibly. There was no mistake. God was with us. And as these youth had come into a place posturing their heart towards heaven, the presence of God met them. Stephen, no one shared the gospel with Stephen. I don't even remember what the message was that night from the speaker, but it wasn't an invitation. But he, down on the ground, put his face flat, you know, just laid prostrate, put his face flat in the dirt, and he started crying out on his own, Jesus, save me. Jesus, deliver me. Jesus, heal me. I need you. I want you in my life. Please come and make me new. And other kids, both from the streets and from the youth group, joined in Stephen's authentic prayers and began pouring out their hearts to Jesus, making their needs known. We baptized Stephen in the lake the next day, and on the way home, I was asking him about his experience. I was thinking about the lonely kid that I met on the street just three days earlier and what he had experienced and how full of life those three days had been for him. And he told me this. He said, he said, Renee, when you found me that morning in Pioneer Square, I decided that life was no longer worth living. I was determined to kill myself. I was actually on my way to jump off of the bridge. But I stopped in the square and I was prompted by something to pray to a God that I did not know. And I said, God, if you are real, please send someone my way and I will give life another chance. Just send me a sign now. As soon as I finished that prayer, you were walking in my direction. I knew then that God was real and that everything was going to be okay. When God woke me up at 5 a.m. that morning, Stephen had not even spoken that prayer. But this is the kind of the father that we have. This is the Jesus who would leave the 99 to find the one. This is the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us in all truth. That even before Stephen's words were in his mouth, he was already fully known. And the Father was responding to his cries long before Stephen himself even knew that his cry was there. And because I was in tune with the Holy Spirit's promptings and willing to respond... I could be woken up in the early morning and show up at the very moment that a young boy living on the streets of Portland with no hope was uttering a hopeless prayer to an unknown God. 
And through my response to God's presence in my life, someone else's life was saved, both physically and spiritually, both now and for all of eternity. And just so you know, Stephen went on to live a faithful life with Jesus, got plugged into a church and all of that, but that's the end of his story for today. I really want you to catch this part as we move into the next section this morning and begin to talk about intercession. That although God can do anything, he does nothing apart from us. He's looking for partnership. He could have somehow appeared to Stephen. He could have, you know, I don't know, you know. He could have done anything to stop Stephen from from killing himself and to reveal himself to Stephen. But he chose to use humanity to partner with him in that moment. And this is part of the covenant of love towards us and from us that this response in this posture of of prayer it it changes the world around us it births new life so our yes is prayer our actions are prayer our longing is prayer our listening is prayer our words and our cries to him are prayer our silence before him is prayer our kindness to others is prayer prayer is all-encompassing and it empowers us to walk in that partnership with him this was true even for jesus in psalm 2 it's, it's an interesting passage. David is speaking of Jesus when he proclaims the Lord's decree and he says, the father said, he said to me, you are my son. Today I've become my, your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. Jesus was the son of God and a son is a rightful heir And all that belongs to the Father belongs to the Son, right? And yet he is told, ask. Ask of me. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. Even Jesus had to respond back. What was rightfully his, he had to ask for, because the Father wanted to know that the Son also desired that same thing. Jesus, as he walked the earth, was fully human, and he had to posture his heart daily towards the Father, looking to see what it was the Father was doing, listening to what it was the Father was saying, and he said he only did what he saw the Father doing. He was invited into that place of co-creation through the act of prayer as he walked in that place of humanity. And that's an example to us that in this place of prayer, we begin on an inward journey and we learn how to pray unceasingly, but that inward journey always moves outward. It moves from also from individual to communal. So here's where we see the transition of the character and the nature of God 
moving in us to begin to move out through us, right? Intercession defined as standing in a place between two parties until peace is made. So therefore, intercession, just like we talked about prayer without ceasing as a heart posture before God, intercession is also a posture that we take before God. It's not so much about the words that we speak as it is where our feet are firmly planted. I'm going to stand in this position between the world and all that is represented in the earthly realm, the chaos, the sin, the brokenness, the instability, between the world and between God and all that he offers, his grace, his undeniable love, his sustenance, the ability to flourish and to be made whole. And I'm going to stand in this place until I see these two things come together and the world be brought back into right alignment with what the Father brings and what was originally intended in creation. Isaiah 62 shows us this posture of both God and man. It shows what our response is to be to his response. In the scripture, we are told to ask, just like Jesus was told to ask, that we are being told to give the Father no rest until the shalom of God is seen, a place where all people are able to flourish and where the promises of God are fulfilled. So listen to Isaiah, this part of Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Uh, so this is the father saying, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. And you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. It goes on in verse 6, it says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Intercession is being set on that wall to stand in a place until peace is made, until people experience transformation, until cities are renamed, until the promises of God are fulfilled. It's simply a mirroring back of what God himself is doing, that he gives himself continually night and day and day and night, and he does not rest until he sees all things coming back into alignment of his original intention in creation. And we are to join together with him in partnership, night and day and day and night, calling out to him and agreeing with him until we see those answers. 
Walter Wink, an American biblical scholar and theologian, speaks of intercession in this way. He says, intercession is spiritual defiance of what is in the name of what God has promised. Intercession is spiritual defiance of what is in the name of what God has promised. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the atmosphere of the present. He says, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Now, that's not like a new age kind of, you know, <laughs> believe, I believe it, it will be. So it's this idea of partnering with God, of understanding what his desires are, of saying, I will come into this place, I will be a watchman on the wall, I'm going to stand here until I see the fulfillment. He says in another book, when we pray, this is Wink again, when we pray, we are engaged in an act of co-creation. Thus, if we are to take the biblical understanding seriously, intercession is more than changing ourselves in order to change the world. It changes what is possible to God, permitting God to act without violating human freedom. Thus, changing what God can thereby do in the world then intercession, far from being an escape from action, is actually means of focusing for action and of creating action. Isn't that interesting? That when we pray, we are engaged in an act of co-creation. We talked last week about creativity, of being true to Christ through prayer, and through creativity, because we are co-creating, we are in partnership with God. Intercession changes history. We carry the spirit of God within us because we are his living temple, priests and kings before the Father, standing in the gap, watchmen on the wall, responding to the presence of God. This word watch in Isaiah 62, it means to be awakened, to be attentive. It's, it's like um, coming back to ourselves. It's described as, as really like one who's been drunk, you know, and then comes back to himself like, oh, this is, this is what's happening. This is who I am. We remember who we are and we pay attention to this present moment. Because this present moment is the place where the kingdom of God touches earth. It's the place where, where we say, Lord, we want to see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's this present moment. We can acknowledge the past and we can be expectant of the future, but it's in this present moment here and now when we are paying attention, when we are awakened, when we come back to ourselves and go, Oh, yes, here's my alignment. This is, the, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm determined to posture myself towards him. That's when we see heaven begin to touch the earth.
So again, Jesus did only what he saw the Father doing. He gave us his spirit to be our counselor and our guide. Sometimes it's just very simple, like showing up on a Saturday morning at 5 a.m. that becomes something very profound of actually saving a life. Sometimes it's much bigger, something much bigger. You know, we, we have examples um, of this idea of history belonging to the intercessors. It was true, this idea of history belonging to the intercessors was true in the dark ages when Benedict and the monks created stability in the midst of chaos through regular rhythms of, and patterns of prayer and spiritual devotion in the monasteries, when their lives overflowed with the presence of God in the streets and places of deep poverty, miracles and healings were seen on a daily basis and the light of the gospel was preserved through the dark ages. It was true when Martin Luther posted his theses and began to reform the church so that we would understand the depth of grace that God has poured out to us and that the need for a middleman in our relationship with God would be taken away. History belongs to the intercessors. These were men of prayer, women of prayer. It was true for the Moravians who launched the modern-day mission movement after 100 years of night and day prayer. They packed their belongings in coffins, knowing that they would never return, as some of them actually sold themselves into slavery to get across the seas to new lands. Once in America, the Moravians became city builders and justice keepers. In Moravian Falls, North Carolina, the Moravians dwelt in solidarity with the First Nations people. And when their indigenous brothers and sisters were forced to pack up their homes and their families and walk the Trail of Tears, the Moravians packed up all of their belongings and they went with them. History belongs to the intercessors, lives being changed. It was true for Jonathan Edwards and the following spiritual awakenings, which resulted in not only hundreds and thousands of salvations, but the raising up of future leaders and eventually an end of slavery and the birthing of a justice movement that is still having an impact today through organizations like the Salvation Army and the work of William Booth. Through intercession, revival, reformation, and justice is birthed. And through staying um, in this posture, this continual posture before the Lord and mirroring back his words, his desires, his plans, his actions, we see the realigning of all things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this last scripture, Luke 18. And I know a lot of you are familiar with this parable. It's the parable of the persistent widow. It says, right before the parable is told, it says, he told his disciples this prayer so that they would not grow weary, so that they would not give up, so that they would continue to pray. 
So the story, you know, is this widow who goes to the unjust judge and she says, give me what is rightfully mine. Give me back that which belongs to me. She knocks and she knocks and she knocks and she knocks and she keeps on knocking all through the day, all through the night. She is persistent, but he will not relent. It says, finally, finally, because of that persistence, he says, fine, have it, (laughs) you know, here, just leave me alone. Don't wake me up at 5 (laughs) a.m. But then it's this, this passage goes on and it says, how much more will my father, will our our Father who is good, not give to you. If you cry out night and day, I tell you he will bring justice and he will bring it quickly. There's something about, again, that place where we come into partnership with him and we're willing to say, I will stand before you night and day. I will posture myself and even if we look at revival history, it's, it's groups of those individuals who are in that place, in that posture together, coming together and saying, we as a community will not relent. We're going to continue on this wall. We will stand night and day and day and night until we see the promises come forth. There's something that the Lord says actually speeds up the ability for him to answer those prayers and to bring those promises forward when we're willing to be in that posture of prayer. Posture of continual prayer gives us purpose. Mission and justice are birthed in our lives. This entire series started with Isaiah 60, right? Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's another example of this call to respond to the presence of the Lord. He says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord has risen. We are to arise. He has risen. His light is shining. His glory is being seen. We are to rise up into that place with him to shine in the same manner. It's in this place that we'll see the Gentiles come, the promises fulfilled, the lost being saved. So even though there's a darkness that's covering the earth, and a deep darkness, the people. There's a promise in this scripture that as we arise, his light will be seen. My friend, Pastor Lisa Saunders, every time we hit the scripture, she reminds me, this word arise, she says it actually means to come on the scene, to come on the scene, to show up somewhere. And that word shine is to set on fire. Come on the scene and set on fire. 
Now, it might be dangerous to preach a whole sermon about that in Portland, but, <laughs> but we have seen the devastating nature of fires, right? We've seen the wildfires, we've felt the smoke, the inability to breathe. We've watched the, the protests that happened downtown, and we've heard about the desire to set things on fire that, that may or may not accomplish the purpose that they're hoping for, right? But there is a fire that does not consume us, but rather consumes everything that hinders us from walking in the fullness of what Jesus intended for us. He is a consuming fire, but he does not consume anything in us except that which hinders us from loving completely, from walking in fullness with him. So this last part of of Luke 18 is the part that always gets me. He goes through the whole parable, he, he, and then he, he talks about how much more if we cry out day and night, and then he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will I find faith on the earth? So I guess that's our question in the end. We can hear it all, we can agree with it, we can say, yeah, that, that's great, I believe that. But are we going to walk it out? Are we going to be the ones who stand? Are we going to be the ones who position ourselves in a way that we are continually carrying the presence of Jesus in us in a way that not only transforms our own inner man, but the world around us? And are we willing to be in that posture of prayer night and day, day and night, whether we see the fulfillment of that promise in our generation or in the generations yet to come? Will we be a people who come on the scene and set the fire that provides warmth and comfort and draws people into the presence of Jesus? So let me pray. Father, we thank you that your love for us is an everlasting love. And that even from before the beginning of creation, you had a plan. That you desired for us to walk in partnership with you. That we were to be co-creators with you. And so, Lord, I just ask that that you would help us to continually position our hearts to respond to that love that you have for us in the same manner, that we would be willing to be in that position with you night and day, day and night, caring about the things that you care about, allowing our heart to be broken for the things that your heart breaks for. God, would you help us in the places where it feels fearful or it feels like it doesn't make sense? Would you help us to have courage to walk out and to to 
you know, to, yeah, to walk out the ways that we believe the Holy Spirit is prompting us. Would you cultivate that ability for us to hear your voice? And in this way, would we be true to Christ? Thank you. That this is the place where heaven touches the earth. And we desire to be a people that will see your kingdom come here and now. In Jesus' name, amen.